thank you for sharing your testimony and your heart to us. We just love to hear that. And really, thank you. On behalf of Aaron and I, uh, we really have felt your warm welcome. Uh, it's great to be able to come and see you worshiping the same Lord we do um, and uh, recognize we might be from different places, but like Dave said so well this morning, we serve the same Lord. So this morning, we're going to go back to the book of Romans, and we're going to think about future grace. Romans. Uh, you know, some people uh, can make a living, and more than that, they can make a fortune on predicting the future. Uh, people who maybe deal in real estate or commodities of some sort, people who maybe trade stocks. But everyone has a cr- cracked crystal ball. No one really knows what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, the day after that, or the year after that. Um, but I'm going to make a prediction here that I know will come true for everyone in this room. And that's not because I'm a prophet. That's definitely not because I'm American, but it's because I know (laughs) something about all of us. We're all human, and this is something that's going to happen. Two things are going to happen. The future is a place you will, number one, suffer, and the future is a place, number two, that you will experience the grace of God. Because suffering and grace go hand in hand. Dave asked me to preach about future break, grace. And the way I understand future grace is to direct our attention to heaven in the days that are coming. And I want to warn you that trouble lies ahead. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, the Lord Jesus has overcome the world. Now Romans... If you don't know the book, Romans gives us, we've been studying this at our church back home in Arizona, Romans gives us a ravishing account of what it means to be saved and justified in the name of Jesus Christ. Read this book. I commend it to you. Read it again and again and again, and you will find things that sound too good to be true. We find that Jesus dies not for the godly, but for the ungodly, not just to give us forgiveness, but to give us the very righteousness of God. We find that this gift does not come through human achievement or any level of worthiness, but it comes by divine grace. We find that we are no longer enslaved as Christians to the power of sin, but instead we have been set free and now are indwelt by the Holy Spirit sent from God. We find that we are set free and we find that we have hope in this life. But yet, even with all these wonderful, ravishing truths that are promised in the book of Romans and the rest of the book, we find, well, that we are also promised that we will have trouble. And sometimes suffering comes in the most surprising packages. It comes sometimes like a rat-a-tat-tat from a machine gun coming in short, explosive bursts, like job loss, bills that are stacked up, credit ruined, bankruptcy, insolvent business, car totaled. And as you try to go for cover, you can't find any cover. Sometimes affliction comes in like a consistent, never-ending, always-rising tide with arthritis, COPD, macular degeneration, gout, hypertension, leukemia, some other autoimmune disorder. And you feel like you're going to drown under the affliction that seems to come. Sometimes suffering haunts us like a ghost. And no one can see the voices that seem to haunt and harangue you. Voices that say you're worthless, that you're no good, that if people really knew you, they would never like you. People, voices that say you don't measure up, you're not like everyone else. These voices seem to play over and over in your head, 
and you can't silence them. And sometimes the wounds of the past seem to cut deeper and deeper. Wounds of sexual abuse, verbal abuse, physical abuse, and they eat you from the inside out. And that's not even to mention the sorts of ways that Christians uniquely suffer because they are Christians. So how are we to how, how are we to look at the hardships, these questions, these hardships that seem to spin in our lives like the spin cycle? Today we're going to come to Romans 8 and we're going to try to begin with putting suffering in its place. And we're going to try to see that there is a perspective that the Lord gives us when it comes to suffering. And I'm going to read beginning in Romans 8, chapter 16, and I'm going to read to verse 18. Now, I'm going to confine my comments to verse 18, but I begin in verse 16 for just a little bit of context. I want you to see how Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, directs us to look at the trouble of suffering. God's Word from the English Standard Version says this, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may be also glorified with Him. Here's the verse we're going to consider. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Let's pray. Lord, this consideration that we're going to look at that Paul says here so starkly in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, that the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed to us. That is something that we see, but Lord, that is something that we need help understanding today. Lord, we don't have eyes to see this glory, not yet. We can taste a little bit when we gather together and sing. We can taste a little bit when we hear the Word preached. We can taste a little bit when we enjoy sweet fellowship one with another. But we need your help this morning because we walk by faith and not by sight. And so, Lord, I pray that you would transform this room from a room just in in, in Sydney to a a place that would, would smell of heaven. I pray, Spirit, you would be with us in power. We know, Holy Spirit, that you, are, you delight to be amongst your people. And you, in fact, indwell every genuine Christian in this room. But we pray, we see in the Scriptures, there are times you show in unique power. And, and, and we, we pray that today would be one of those times for Sovereign Grace Church here. But I pray that you would touch all of us. I pray, I pray, Lord, that you would comfort the afflicted this morning. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see the coming kingdom that will be our home and is our home. And it's in the name of Jesus, our risen King, who will one day come back and get us. It's in his name we pray. Amen. For I consider that the sufferings of the present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that doesn't explain how to make it through sufferings. That tells us how to put our suffering in perspective. Do you see the difference? We're not, we're not told what to do. We're told how to see our sufferings. 
See, this is a message that is simple. It's simple. I can say it in just one sentence. Current afflictions cannot compare to future glory. Current trouble cannot compare to future glory. That's simple. We all understand it at a moment as adults reading verse 18. We recognize that what Paul's saying is, however hard our trials are today, it won't compare to the time when we see him face to face and live with him for all eternity. We understand that. The difficulty is not in the knowing, it's in the believing, and it's in the living. And so in an effort to try to maybe bring a little bit of light to this, I'm going to say four things about suffering which I trust come from our text. First, suffering is not a sign of God's anger toward you. First, suffering is not a sign of God's anger. It's easy to think that your afflictions are a sign of God's divine displeasure. I've had too many people come to me as a pastor asking me with tears in their eyes, saying, am I being punished for something I've done in the past? If you're a Christian, the answer is no. Now, God does discipline those He loves. He does reprove those who are His. But not all suffering is discipline. Often it's not. There are many reasons Christians suffer. And if you read Romans 8, you, have, you, you see different ways in which they suffer. But today I want to make sure we understand the obvious here. There are many people in so there are many so-called Christians in other part all all around the world that say that it's wrong for the Christian ever to suffer. People say that it's that if Christians suffer, there is somehow something lacking about their life or their 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 faith or something like that. I'm tired of hearing stories where people said my mother got sick and the leaders of the church came and said that she's ill because she lacked faith. I don't want to hear stories about how. A lady says, my husband lost his job and and the church leader said that there must be some kind of serious secret sin in his life and that's why God was punishing him. God has no punishment for the Christian. Any so-called Christian leader who says Christians should not suffer or says somehow suffering is a sign of God's anger doesn't know the God of grace. So first, affliction is not a sign that God is angry with you. Second, second, the Christian life is marked by many different afflictions. The Christian life is marked by many different afflictions. In fact, a sign that you are in God's will oftentimes is suffering. I want you to see what I didn't see until I started to study this verse in verse 18. For I consider the suffering of this present time. Is that what it says? No, it says, for I consider that the sufferings, notice the plural there. Sufferings is plural. The Christian life is marked by a wide variety, a varied array of sufferings. It would be impossible for me to catalog all the different kinds of suffering that could befall a Christian. The face of suffering is multifaceted. The Bible doesn't paint suffering with one color. There's mental suffering, there's physical suffering, there's emotional suffering, there's spiritual suffering, there is suffering that is your fault, there is suffering that is the fault of someone else, there's even suffering unique only to Christians. Whatever we walk through now, verse 18, and the promises that lie there will be, uh, stand for those because we have, we all face sufferings. Because sufferings are our reminder that we are temporarily yoked to a dark and broken world. 
Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, if anyone come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Do you remember what Ananias said about Ananias? When the Lord revealed himself to Ananias, what he had to say to Paul, he said, I will show him, being Paul, how much he must suffer for my name. Peter strikes the same tone in 1 Peter 1. In this you rejoice, for now, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. The testimony of Scripture is the same. Suffering comes to the people of God. Suffering comes to the people of God. That's why Paul puts plural. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time. See, what he's doing is he's describing the present time as a time of sufferings. And it makes sense. Just like Dave told us last night, Jesus. Jesus was the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Jesus had tears in his eyes and sorrow in his heart very often. Think about the last time he entered Jerusalem in his earthly life. And he looked at the outskirts of town and he cried. He wept. Jesus had tears. He had sorrow. He lived a morally perfect life, yet he suffered a horribly difficult life at the same time. And he was killed. You see, when you follow, as we do, Christians, a crucified but risen, but a crucified first Messiah, we can expect suffering to mark out our days because we follow a tested, tempted, opposed, rejected, and crucified Messiah. I don't know what it's like here. I think it's the same. But in America, most people don't expect to suffer. We expect every day to get better than the last. We don't maybe deal with some of the hardships other generations dealt with. Um, We're among the first generation in our country to believe that they shouldn't suffer. Because life expectancy in my country has gone from, in 1900, 47 years old, to today being 79 years old. People expect to live forever, but yet our days as Christians are marked with all kinds of suffering. Cancer, depression, death, mental anguish, job loss, wayward children, juvenile leukemia, stillborn births, car accidents, irrational fear, persecution. That's why suffering in verse 18 is not just suffering, but sufferings. It's plural. So don't be surprised, as Peter says, through the fiery, by the fiery trial you're going through. Don't be surprised. And don't be surprised if your trial seems to press you right to the edge of what you think is reasonable. Because I find that affliction pushes past reasonableness on into trust and faith in the Lord. So what have we said so far? We've said this. Suffering does not mean God is angry. Secondly, we've seen suffering does mark our days. Now for the good part, verse three, or uh, number three. Future glory eclipses current suffering. That's the third thing. Future glory eclipses current suffering. Again, verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Now that is an astounding statement when you think about it. There are many horrendous things that I'm sure people in this room have walked through. Things that if you sat me down and told me, I would cry. Things that would make my mind go numb. But here, the Lord Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives Paul the words to say, even those kind of sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed to us. So we can take all of our sufferings, count them out one by one, put them in a pile, measure them out, take them and put them on the scale. And when you get to heaven and see your Savior face to face, they won't even be comparing to the glory that we will see. Now, this doesn't minimize current pain, but it puts future glory and future grace in perspective. It's not that our current pain doesn't really hurt. It's this. It's that it doesn't last. Because when pain comes, it comes saying, I'm going to be here forever. You're never going to shake me. I'm going to come, and I'm not going to leave. See, we need verse 18 to say this. No. 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 In this world, I will have trouble, but it's not worth comparing to the glory that will be mine one day. Now, this is hard to understand. It's hard to explain. We are children of a fallen world. We can explain 20 kinds of diseases off the top of our heads. We can describe 25 different kinds of fear. We can think about 10 threats to our mental well-being. We are fluent in the language of pain and suffering. We can describe the difference between a throbbing pain, a knifing pain, a numb pain. We know those kinds of things. When I say that, you have something in your mind that makes you say, oh, I, I get that. But we can't, we're, we're not as fluent in the language of glory. Not yet. But we will be. See, our suffering is not for our lifetime. Just this life. Your lifetime is longer than 70 or maybe 80 or even 90. You are an eternal being. Because you are in Christ, you are alive forevermore. Forever is not a term that our minds can comprehend. We will not measure our lives in terms of years, maybe century, maybe millennia. I don't know. I want you to see what Paul does here is helps us understand that this life And the troubles it brings, though they weigh us down and seem closer than any shadow, will seem like nothing in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed to us. I would never make that statement if Scripture didn't say it first. But this is something Scripture trumpets nonetheless. Paul wants us to be aware of a greater, weightier reality just over the horizon into eternity. Though our suffering may seem beyond our endurance, the glory that is to be ours, the glory that we are to behold, is beyond compare. 
I want you to understand the hope here is, that's the hope here in this passage. He's not giving us tips on how to deal with suffering. He's telling us that it is not forever. Your trials, they do not define you. Your trials will not dog you for all your days because you will live the rest of your days someday in the place where the sun never sets and the the one who has risen from the dead rules in power and our eyes will see him and we will be like him. He is saying that there is a glory coming not just for you to see, but for you to taste and for you to experience. We may be fluent in the language of suffering. One day we will be fluent in the language of glory. We will be able to talk with great specificity between the differences of of blessings that we've received from the Lord. I I don't even, we can't put words to it in that way now. We're going to forget all the specifics that we can bring to pain and suffering and hardship and trial and calamity and catastrophe. And we're going to realize that there are so many different ways we can give thanks to the Lord for the blessings and glory that He has revealed to us that the shadows of these days will pass. This glory is going to be revealed in you and it's going to be revealed upon you personally. The body maladies that hound you will melt away in a moment. The moral deficiencies that bully you will be put to flight in a second. The heartbreak that plague you will be eclipsed. The injustices that provoke you to anger will be put right. The loneliness that you experience will be forever destroyed. The, self, the selfless and selfish caregivers will have their lives given to them. Fear that haunts will be forever silenced. Worry that entangles will be burned up in a second. Frustrations of every variety will be knocked over forever. Pain and sadness of every shade will forever and finally be washed away by the glory that is to be revealed to you personally. That awaits us. The glory of the one who stands at the center of the universe will fill our lives and change our realities. And all the trouble and afflictions that dog us today will vanish like a mist. They are not worth comparing. When we meet Jesus, all the sadness of our present reality will be gone. And it will be like we awaken from a bad dream. You'll shake your head and come to your senses and realize that you live now with Him. What a day that will be. What a day that will be. And I can't tell you the half of it. I can't tell you the tenth of it. I wish, (laughs) I wish, I wish we could go there. I wish I could snap my fingers and say, let's let's just take a field trip right now. Let's go from here to the throne room for just a half second. Let's catch a glimpse and then let's come back. I would imagine that if we did go there, we would see many things that we couldn't understand. We'd see things that would blow our minds. We'd see things that we couldn't put to words. We'd see our future home. You know why? Because we don't have the categories to understand what that life will be like. Like I I brought up my dog, I'll bring up my dog again. Moses. When I leave home to go to work, it does no good for me to say, hey, Moses, come here. Sit down. I'm going to get in a car. Now, a car is a vehicle where you don't have to walk like you do. I'm going to back up. 
I'm going to drive down the road. I'm going to drive to my office. I'm going to walk up steps. I'm going to get on my computer, and I'm going to check my email. Well, what's email? Um, email is, well, I don't know how I can explain it for you because you're a dog. <laughs> email is when people from other places send me messages. And then I'm going to go to lunch, and I don't have to find it on the ground outside somewhere. I can go to a restaurant. And then I'm going to talk to people on the phone. The phone is something where I can talk to people from far away. Now, if I sat there and tried to explain all that to my dog, it would be foolishness. He would just wag his tail, look at me, and be thankful for the attention I was giving him. (laughs) And in some ways, the reason that we don't have very many specifics about heaven is because it would be as if God is talking to us. Like, Like, we're like the dogs. We don't get it. In fact, one of the things I do when I have a really bad day is I look at Revelation chapter 21. I look there and I remember this is what it's like. And I see that there are things described here that I can't really comprehend. And in fact, one of the ways John tells us what happens is by what's not there. Did you notice that? Verse 21, or chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed, or had passed away. The one we know, gone, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Have you ever seen a city dressed like a woman? No, that's weird, right? So, like, all these images crash, boom, what's going on? You know what, that, that's, that's Revelation telling us, you don't really understand what it's going to be like. It's so glorious. So what we're going to have to do is take all the illustrations and illusions and crash them together and say, wow, it's going to be much better than that. <laughs> and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. That will be a day. And notice this, he will wipe away every tear, every tear. The tears that you cry, you think nobody notices. There's one who does. He's bottling them up. He sees. When you walk in those dark watches of the night, when your soul seems to be as if you have no friends, you have a friend. He's watching. He will wipe one day every tear from your eyes. And death That great enemy will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, consistent sadness, nor nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. See, the description of heaven is in terms of what is not there for us. Do you know why? Because we're like my dog. We can't understand life that will be there because life to us is so captured by what is here. No pain, no sadness, no crying, no loneliness. The former things. We live in the time that will soon be the former things that will pass away. What a day that will be. What a day. That doesn't make our current realities easy, but it puts a future hope in context, doesn't it? This isn't your home. This isn't your home. In in a few days, I'm going to climb on an airplane at Sydney 
and I'm going to fly 15 hours from Sydney to Los Angeles, and then another hour from Los Angeles to Phoenix. Imagine what a fool I would be is if, if I got off in Los Angeles and I decided to live in that airport. That'd be really dumb. After flying 15 hours to get to, to, to L.A., just to decide, you know, the other hour plane ride, that's too long. I'm just going gonna, gonna to hang out here in the airport. I'm going to make myself comfortable. I'm going to get some throw pillows and put them over there on the couches. I'm going to eat this airport food for a long time and see how long I can live there till they kick me out. That would be foolish. No one makes themselves comfortable for a long time in an airport. They recognize it's not their home. Same is true for us. We're not home. We're not home. No matter how comfortable we make our homes, no matter how comfortable we make our lives, the pressing reality upon all of us is this. This is not our home. This is not our home. And I can tell you this, the heaven that awaits us is beyond every earthly calculation. And I can't wait. I told our church, listen, if you're ever around me when I die and you have the gift of faith, do not pray for me to come back from the dead. (laughs) Let me go. It's a spiritual DNR. I do not want to come back. What a day that will be. Greater than we can imagine. Heaven goes beyond what we can imagine. Finally, a a last word to suffer is number four. Future glory can be ours today. It is said that that old preacher, John Chrysostom, who was called the one with the golden tongue, was called before an evil empress. She threatened him much like our affliction, uh, our affliction seemed to threaten us, and their interchange helps me think about my current trials. She said, I will banish you. He said, you cannot banish me. This world is my father's whole house. She said, I will kill you. He said, you cannot. My life is hid with Christ in God. She said, I will take all your money. He said, you can't. My treasure is in heaven, and my heart is there. She said, I will drive you away from your friends until you have no one left. He said, no, you cannot, for I have a friend in heaven from whom you cannot separate me. I defy you, for there is nothing you can do to harm me. When our hope is in heaven and our trust is in the Lord, what can afflictions do to us here? They're not worth comparing. The suffering that hurts so badly today will not mark you permanently. And and you know what? It does not define you personally. If you're a Christian, the suffering that that, that hounds you today does not define you. Jesus does. Future glory does not erase present pain. Christians, we're only given one lifetime to suffer for Jesus and an eternity to enjoy Him. Some of us are called to suffer in different ways. Unbelievers are given a lifetime to enjoy and eternity to suffer through. The closest we get to hell is right here. Right now. That's the good news. The pain we feel in this life is as close as you will physically be able to get to hell. 
because the present pain, the present sufferings, is not worth comparing to the glory that is to be ours. Now, like I said before, this doesn't mean that our suffer that we shouldn't that we should pretend that our sufferings don't hurt. And when we come alongside someone who's suffering, it's really easy to jump in and say, "Here's how you should be feeling. Here's what you should be going through. Here's what you should be thinking." One of the ways we can minister to people suffering is just to be an arm around their shoulders and a voice in their ear saying, Jesus loves you, I'm here, I want to help you, without any expectations about how quickly they should or shouldn't get over something. See, one of the things that we can do as believers in Jesus is to remind people that this suffering isn't forever, but when suffering comes, we can be a voice of love, a voice of kindness, a voice, of, suffer, a voice of, of a friend, we can be a friend that's comfortable being around suffering. Don't rush to give opinions, rush to pray. Don't tell them things like it'll be better later. Cry with them today and then experience the better times later. I think we need to be comfortable being around people who grieve in their own way with no timetable, no expectations. No, you should be over this by now. Because the heart can hurt, though our heads know the truth. But one day, there will be a day where our hearts will not hurt, and our, the truth that we know will be our reality. And we need to recognize that we never suffer alone. I didn't have time to deal with it much in verse 17, but did you see verse 17? Look again. If and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. See that little phrase, in order? The suffering we experience here will lead to glory there. We never suffer alone. Jesus did. Jesus did. Jesus suffered alone. For so many of you, like me, Psalm 23 is one of those verses I go to when I, I want to remember that I'm not alone because I find there that I'm reminded the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one who leads me to places. He's the one who takes me to the pastures. He's the one that, that I can go to. He's the one who recognizes that, that I, who tells me that I don't have to suffer alone. Have you ever thought about Psalm 23 and the comfort it is for you that it wasn't a comfort for Jesus as he, as he laid there, as, as he hung there on the cross, as he was on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane, as he asked, can this cup be taken from me, as he sweat blood, as he suffered alone? Did you re- have you ever realized as he sat in the garden that our Lord had no shepherd then and all he knew was aching want? Do you realize that there was no green pastures for him to lay in and no still waters for him to drink from? There was no one to restore his soul. He waded into the valley, not the va- not the shadow of not the in the shadow of death, but of the substance of death alone. And evil was all about him. There was no one with him. There was no comforter found for him. Why? Because God prepared a cross in the presence of his enemies and he anointed his head with blood and the cup of God's wrath 
for sin overflowed. Surely goodness and mercy were taken from him. And he was put out of the presence of God and put down to death. On that day, the Lord was not his shepherd. But he was put down, not forever. He rose again so that the Lord could be our shepherd. Suffering is not a sign of God's anger. Suffering is a sign that you're in the will of God. Because Jesus did not have a shepherd that day, we do today. And we can say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, thank God I don't walk through the valley of the, sh- of the substance of death. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because He is with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I and you and we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Present suffering does not compare to future glory. Present suffering does not compare to future glory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I am grateful that we have a shepherd that will never leave us, nor will he forsake us, because you were forsaken. I'm grateful, Lord Jesus, that you were obedient even to the cross even to the point where your Father poured out unmitigated wrath upon your head so that He might not do that to me. I am grateful beyond what I can say. And Lord, I pray that you would help us each, us all, as we think about our lives. Lord, I pray for every person in this room, Lord. I don't know what people are going through. I know, Lord, that they need a heavy dose of future grace, grace to walk through the realities that this life will punch and punch hard and the recognition that there is a day coming that there will be the end of all suffering and so Lord I pray that you would remind us all of that reality this morning so I pray that you would comfort those here who are hurting I pray that you would you would give comfort to those who are afraid I pray that you would bless those who are weeping. Lord, thank you that this isn't our home and that that the best that this world can give us is just wood, hay, and stubble. And that we have a forever to look forward to, a forever with you, a forever without fear cancer, car accidents and divorce, Down syndrome, 
tsunamis. A forever without COPD, emphysema. A forever without bullying at school. Sadness at home. That's the forever we look forward to. And I pray that that comfort would bless us all today. And I pray, Lord, for Sovereign Grace Church here in Sydney. Lord, I am grateful, Lord, for the work you are doing here. Here we have people called according to your purpose, serving as a lighthouse to the lost. And Lord, I just pray. I pray, Lord, as you... As we look into the future, we can't see what's going to happen. You do. We know that there is going to be suffering that comes upon the people of this church. But I pray even more that you would bless them. And I pray that they would be a people who look forward to the future hope that they have with Jesus in heaven. So Lord, I pray a blessing on this church. I pray that they would be a place that welcomes unbelievers. I would pray that they would be a place that that is a place that welcomes people into your presence and ushers people from this world to the next as they die but really just fall asleep. Lord, I pray that you would bless Dave and Brendan and Patrick and all the life group leaders as they work to help everyone see not with the eyes of this world but the eyes of faith. So, Lord, we're grateful that no matter what lies ahead, no matter what troubles are around the next corner, they don't compare to the glory that will be ours. And Jesus, thank you, because that's all because of you. And it's in your name, because you died. You died instead of me. You died instead of us. It's in your name the one who's risen from the dead and has risen to an indestructible life. It's in his name we pray. Amen.